0: Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 11. You'll see uh, most of that text will be on the board or on the screen of the Romans chapter 11. I think this is the second one out of Romans 11, and we'll finish it up next week. Um, uh, three weeks ago, we looked at the first section of romans 11 and we dealt with the two one of the two questions that the apostle asked and remember uh the questions that he is answering are in as a as a result of him presenting the gospel but also presenting chapter 9 and 10 where he says no one who is just jewish can claim that hey i have abraham as my father therefore i'm good and so when he pushes that out there the if you hold romans 8 against that then the people are absolutely saying well well, you said nothing can separate us from the love of God, but these people are separated from the love of God. How does this pan out with God's promises? And so three weeks ago, uh, we had that, that first kind of the, the first question, um, has God forsaken those he foreknew? And, of course, we see a term that Paul uses all the time uh, in the ESV. It's, God for, uh, it's by no means In the King James, it's God forbid, but it's an emphatic no, no way, it's impossible. God forbid this would ever happen. So we see this by no means when we see it in our text. That's the emphatic response to what you have said. This question or how you phrase it, the answer is an astounding no. And so uh, this morning is the second question. Uh, Have they stumbled in order that they might fall? So before we read this text, I want to talk to you about the importance of, of words. Words are just so important, and I love words. Jeff was teaching this morning, and as he was going through, I said, I hope he says theopneustos. I hope it's one of my favorite Greek words. Theopneustos, God breathed, that's one word It comes out. Right? Words are so important, and if you missed our Sunday school class, you'll find out that that's one thing we share. We love the word of God, but we love the written word. We love languages, right? So there's two words that are going to come up. This morning, that kind of carry a pejorative sense with them, right? One is jealousy, and, and the other is envy, right? And so he's gonna he's gonna say, I I, I long for the Jewish brothers to be jealous, and oftentimes we hear that word jealousy, and we we treat it as it's just this terrible thing. Why are you jealous? Um, and and yet, uh, the thing itself is not wrong. It's what it's directed. It's what causes it. And the same with envy. Normally, when we talk about envy, we're saying, uh, I want that white truck that I got to drive on Thursday. I want that truck. I want something from someone else. I want something that's going to take it from someone else, or I'm putting a value on something that's not mine. And so when we talk about envy and jealousy here, the Apostle Paul is saying, and it'll be this overarching theme that he wants Israel, he wants the Jews to take note of the relationship that the Gentiles have with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, it works. In Galatians, you read about, uh, he said, these these fake brothers were spying on them and wanting to observe their freedom because uh, the gospel brought such freedom uh, to the Jews who believed and to the Gentiles. It, it brought freedom from this burden, which was Judaism at the time. So when he uh, talks about jealousy and envy, it is in a positive sense. Um, when, when I was a youth pastor, we had a, a big big youth room. It was really a trailer. Um, And on that trailer, I think I told you about this. We had we had someone that uh, owned a print shop, do special prints with your photography, um, and he offered to print anything we wanted. And and so I'd get these kind of thick cardboard uh, prints of youth events, one after another after another. My favorite was right in the middle, and it was this kid that I took fishing, and he caught a smallmouth bigger than I've ever caught. Right? I've been catching fish all day. He wouldn't listen to me, he wouldn't listen to me. Finally, I said, here, put this on and cast over there. He put it on, he cast over there, and he caught this behemoth smallmouth. I mean, I was so jealous of that smallmouth. I, I counted it kind of as mine since I told him how to get it, right? And there is this picture of that kid holding this big, big bass with a big smile on his face. I had all kinds of pictures like that. What did I want to happen? I wanted uh, someone who brought a friend to youth group to look at those pictures and be jealous of the situation, the relationship, the times, all the goings on, right? I went to visit kids in school. I wanted to see them at school. I wanted their friends to see, hey, this is a, this is a pretty amazing thing you got going on here. I'd love to be a part of that. You know what I didn't put on, this, on the wall? the kid crying later when I made him throw the fish back you know he he really he was of that kind you know those of us who are sportsmen right I tried to explain it to one of my Canadian friends when I threw his fish back he's like it's kind of like going and hunting shooting a bird and then stapling it back to the tree I said no it's not (laughs) the fish is alive you know you you hunt you you know you, you harvest something it, it's it's not going back to the tree anyway i didn't put those pictures up i didn't put pictures of kids falling asleep during my message right i i i put things that would make them envious would make them realize i'm kind of missing out on that I'm kind of missing out on that and i know i've probably told you this before but one time i'm cleaning out our church van after one of our trips and i'm exhausted just exhausted. I'm cleaning out trash, and I get this note. One of, one of the girls had written to one of her friends, and it said, basically, I'm so jealous of the friendships and the relationships you have with people in this church. I didn't know who it was, but I remember reading it and saying, awesome. <laughs> I, I, I want that to come across. The Apostle Paul is using that kind of thinking In Romans 11, when he talks about uh, what is going on with uh, with Israel, the nation of Israel, the ethnic Jews, what is going on with them, and how does he see his mission to the Gentiles promoting it? So that's where we are. Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 24. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. So I ask, then, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvations come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you, Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. severity toward those who have fallen God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness otherwise you too will be cut off and even they if they do not continue in their unbelief will be grafted in for God has the power to graft them in again for if you were cut off from what is nature a wild what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree how much more will these the natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand, does stand forever. You may be seated. In your uh, sermon outline, I, I put ignorance as the fertilizer for arrogance and pride. Uh, it is uh, probably a quote I stole from someone, I just don't know who. Uh, but uh, you find uh, a proud person, especially biblically speaking, A proud person is a person that is ignorant. There are things they don't know. Uh, I saw in the airport, there's this book, I think it's a bestseller, How to Know What You Don't Know or something like that. Anybody read that one? How to Know What You Don't Know. Like It's really the first step to knowledge, isn't it? To say, I don't know things. It's the first step to growth. I don't know things. If, If a player is to be coached, it is to say, coach, I don't know things. I'm not doing everything perfect. I want you to look. I want you to correct. I am going to humble myself before you. Ignorance freeds pride ignorance of the scriptures does not bring holiness right holiness and humility inextricably combined to one another and so the apostle paul is saying here there was this group of people and he talks about them as a as an olive tree uh, a, a natural native olive tree uh, these people were the branches the, the the root is the the patriarchs and god himself and they were nourished by his covenantal faithfulness to them and they were to produce fruit right god and jesus uses these all the time these really simple horticultural illustrations that's what he's saying here uh, they've been cut off and you've been grafted in so this morning we're going to work through it fairly quickly, but I want to look at really these three kind of three phases that he lists here. Uh, the first is this process, um, this process that goes on, and it's listed there in verses 11 and 12, uh, a cycle really, that has been in existence since human history. Uh, this cycle, he puts it as a stumbling a trespassing and inclusion a stumbling a trespassing and inclusion um, let me let me just get back for a minute to this idea of humility and holiness and growth the biggest obstacle i find to people being converted people entrusting their lives to christ really is uh, a lack of humility and um if you present the gospel to a person and they're not slightly offended, then you may not have presented the gospel perfectly. Right? Because our gospel is offensive to the proud human heart. It, it, it has to be. Really, The very first step of our gospel is you cannot save yourself. All your good works, all the things that everybody else praises you for, it will not save you. It's the very first question of our membership vows, isn't it? We say it one to another in public. Do I see myself as a sinner justly deserving God's displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? It's the first step, and it is offensive to the proud human heart that comes to God and says, I I can't save myself. What you say concerning sin is true, and it's true about me. I think one of the, the second hardest thing then is the renunciation of our own self righteousness. So you know it's one of the biggest cutdowns, not just among Christians, but among people, right? If if one of you tells a friend something they're doing is wrong, that friend will normally say, Ooh, Mr. Self Righteous. Right? Or, ooh, who is holier than thou? Right? And it's offensive because it is. It's like this person is saying, I am holier and you need to be like me. The gospel says Christ alone, God alone is holy and pure, lives in unapproachable light. And we humble ourselves before him. Um, And so this this idea of humility, it it was absent in the Jews. And as Paul writes this, and he says, I think, verse 15, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Uh, Verse 13, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. As he's speaking to Gentiles, he's like, don't make that same mistake. They they missed the Messiah because they were proud of their own righteousness. They missed the Messiah because they had no idea they needed him. They had the temple, the sacrifices, all the things. We we don't need him. We don't want him. We've not been a servant to anybody. He's saying, don't miss that. Uh, Job, Job chapter 1. You know, this this is... I don't know, maybe in the Old Testament, this is one of the greatest signs of humility I've seen. Job chapter 1, all this stuff happens to Job. If you don't know the story, um, everything that you would hate to happen happens to Job. And he's sitting in the dust, and he has these boils all over his body, and he's got a broken piece of pottery, and he's scratching himself with that pottery. His friends don't recognize him because he's so disfigured by all, the, all the, the stuff that's happening to him. But here's what he says in chapter 1, verse 20. Job arose. He tore his robes. A sign of humility. He shaved his head. Sign of great wisdom. <laughs> shaved his head. Uh, another sign of humility. He fell on the ground, and he worshiped. And he said... Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked shall I return. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a hard pill to swallow. And yet it is where our holiness and our sanctification is bred. Humility breeds holiness right it just makes sense humility breeds holiness right humility says uh, a brother has said something I've done has been offensive or sinful humility says I receive it and I thank him Proverbs says it precious precious are the wounds of a friend wife a husband they see you in, in ways no one else does Right. They, they, they speak to you. My kids see me in a way that other people don't. They can they can speak to me in words that if I'm humble, I will grow in my holiness. The sermon in the sentence this morning is that we will live in grace, humility and mission when we understand the kindness and the severity of God. And so this unfolding kindness and severity, the apostle is going to show that cycle to us. He's going to apply it to Israel, and then we're going to have some applications towards the end. So, the, the process, understand the process. Verse 11 and 12 it says, um, they've stumbled. There's a stone that makes them stumble. Uh, Israel has stumbled. Now, um, it's a great term, it's a great word. It it, it is as if we're on our path that we talked about with our song and with Psalm 107. We're on this path, we're on this walk with God, and something causes us to stumble. So, in the Old Testament, it may seem harsh to you when you read about God saying, Do not intermarry with them. What happens with the Midianites? Do not intermarry with them. They will be a stumbling block to you. It's not racist, it's theological. Do not intermarry with people who worship other gods and idols. It will be a stumbling block to you. Do not join yourself to the Baal of Peor, he said. "Right, It will be a stumbling block. And guess what? He's right. All throughout the Old Testament, you see it. They intermarry. Uh, they may have wealth. They may have land. Uh, give us your daughters. We will give you our sons. And they the stumbling block becomes a trespass. Um, I think we don't think in those terms much now, but the church faces stumbling blocks every generation. Right? And how we respond to them is vitally important. Right? How many times have, uh, have, have you told someone, invite someone maybe to Three Rivers, right? Hey, you want to come to Three Rivers? It's a pretty good church. Those folks are nice. Um, really treat the word of God importantly. And they ask you a question like, well, what do you think about gay marriage? Well, he doesn't preach against it all the time. Oh, do you have any women that are pastors? No, but... Right, stumbling blocks. Did your preacher talk about sin? Did they do church discipline? Wow. You know what? I had a palanter in Texas that I was working with that said, a guy came into his office, and he was a member of this church that was dying, put his boots up on his desk like a Texan. He so, said, tell you what, preacher... You ordain our, uh, our pastor here as your assistant, our whole church is going to come. You just need to get over it. You know what? It's a stumbling block. You know what? It's not easy for me to explain it. It isn't. And oftentimes, I avoid it until it comes up. I avoid it until they've spent time in worship with us. When they realize that we don't ordain people because they're stronger, smarter, more capable... We ordain them out of humility before God. We say we don't understand a lot of things in your word, but when you present things, we find it is wise and prudent to follow. But they're stumbling blocks. You're going to face them. They're going to get more and more, right? You're going to have relatives who uh, decide that uh, their, their little baby was assigned a gender. How idiotic is that? right assigned i've read that if you were assigned there was a commercial for medicine the other day It's not good for those of you who were assigned female at birth like this poor doctor's like rolling the dice okay hope i get this one right right I, that's going to be a stumbling block and oftentimes the church will respond by saying we're going to treat it like religion and politics around the family dinner table we're not going to talk about it but the stumbling blocks create trespasses and create a turning away from God. Deeper theology brings about freedom. It does. It brings about freedom, and it brings about peace. Well, brothers and sisters, our generation that is growing up, I prayed for the teachers this morning, the stuff they face, our little kids are being given these decisions that they do not need to make, that they should not make. It shouldn't shouldn't cross their minds. What am I? I right? should be told them, here's what God's word says you are. You're the highest of all creation. God breathed into you, became a living soul. You are more important than cats and dogs and birds and whatever. You're, you are the highest of God's all creation. Right? I digress. <laughs> stumbling block they had a stumbling block stumbling block for the jews at this time the big main one most of you will know that was the crucifixion right it was the crucifixion the jews like wait doesn't the old testament say cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree right so you find it thematic in all the apostles teaching i will preach nothing but christ and him crucified a stumbling block Right? It was a stumbling block. They had to get over it. They had to understand it. I heard a beautiful testimony this week from a man who is Jewish, lives in Israel. We we're talking about the bombings, all the stuff that was going on. And then he just broke into his testimony. Unbelievable. My dad was a rabbi, he says. And I befriended this Christian man who gave me a New Testament written in Hebrew. And he said, I, I read this. And as I read the pages... I went to my dad, who was a rabbi, and I said, wait, why don't we think this is the Christ again? Over and over and over and over. The stumbling block to the Jews was a crucifixion. Now it would have been awful if the disciples said, hey, let's not talk about that. Let's just tell them how wonderful Jesus is and about his love and his forgiveness. Let's not talk about what is central to the Christian message. God sent his son in human flesh to be a sin offering for us. We might receive adoption as his children. There was a stumbling block. And you need to ask yourself, what are there for me today? What stumbling blocks? Are there people you won't share the gospel with? Because well, they know we're this kind of church, or they know the Bible teaches this. Uh, I mean, it, it happens every generation. It's nothing new, right? The Bible's mean to women. The Bible's mean to LGBTQ+. Uh, the Bible promotes slavery. Um, the Bible's all a bunch of Republicans, you know? And I, and I know I've told you that before. I had a young man wanted to be baptized. He's like, but I'm not a Republican. And I'm like, who, who told you that, right? Uh, all these stumbling blocks, we need to, uh, we need to know them. And we need to remove them. Their second stage then was a trespass. So they stumbled and they trespassed. It's a a knowing sin, right? It is a purposeful turning away. Um, Matthew 21, Jesus says to them, uh, you have read the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in his eyes. Therefore, I tell you, he's speaking to the Jews, the kingdom of God will be taken from you And given to a people producing its fruits. In Acts 13, in Acts 14, in Acts 18, you have the same thing. Jews coming and following the the apostles and reviling them. It's it's beautiful. In uh, 18, Paul says, "Uh, I'm going to the Gentiles now, and your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. In 13, the Gentiles heard this. They began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. Many were pointed to eternal life, believed. Even the Roman Christians reading this letter are proof that their trespass has not denied God's mission. It's wonderful. Now, I've heard this mispresented as we, the Gentiles wouldn't have become Christians unless this happened. That's not true. It's not as God was like juggling. Well, let's maybe, let me find the easiest ones, right? Um, it was always intended they were to be the light to the nations. Um, the third stage he talks about is full inclusion. We'll talk a bit more about that this week. Um He says, you know, they have stumbled, they have fallen, they have sinned, um, but their sin has brought and has forced, and we see it in Acts, right? Acts all the believers are in Jerusalem, and until persecution, until the stoning of Stephen in chapter seven, the church stays in Jerusalem, and then the persecution drives it out, and you find the rest of the book of Acts, uh all of these different missionary journeys. So when anybody asks what Acts 29 means, it, it means we are living in that 29th chapter of Acts right now. It doesn't mean we have a special Bible with an extra chapter. It means we are continuing the work of the spread of the gospel from the book of Acts. Um, and, and so their stumble caused the apostles to go and preach the gospel primarily to the Gentiles. Um, and as I said earlier, the purpose, one of the purposes Paul was saying, is that the Jews would see it and they would become jealous. Um, and uh, we've yet to see it happen. Talk a bit more about it next week. Right, next week is, is, is kind of more on what this full inclusion looks like. But he, he, he gives us that cycle. And then I want you to know that that's not just the cycle of Israel. That's the cycle of a Christian. Right? We, we hear the promises. We receive the promises. We find things in the scriptures or things that the culture pressures they put on us. And it causes us to stumble. It causes us to be ashamed of the gospel and to not present it. Um, and, and sometimes that leads to trespass. But in the Old Testament, you see that after that trespass there is, a, there is a renewal, there is a drawing back, right? There is a post-exilic move back to the kingdom.? Right? There is the, the, the Jews in Exodus being saved and brought back. So uh, it, it is a cycle, and it is a cycle in you. right? It's a cycle in you. Um, I hope this is clear to you. Um, the Christian life, it is a path and we run into these stumbling blocks. And, and how we deal with them is so vitally important, how we deal with them, those things that are hard for us to believe, those things that are hard for us to accept. Okay, that's why I quoted Job chapter one. Job had everything that would be hard for a God-fearing person, uh, it would be really hard for them to accept. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. All my business has been taken from me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Job, there was an earthquake and your children have died. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Job, you're covered from head to toe with painful boils. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Job's wife, hey, honey, curse God and die. You're speaking as one of the foolish women who do not know the Lord. the Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Uh, and so he, he mentions the inclusion and how wonderful it is that there are those that the Lord is calling to himself. Uh, we'll deal again more of this next week, but we've talked about all this idea of who Israel is. And so uh, when he says all Israel will be saved... Uh, You remember in 9 and 10, the Apostle said, not all who are born Israel are Israel. Jesus said the same thing. I can raise from these stones children of Abraham. So all of Israel is being saved through this. And even the hardening of the hearts of the ethnic Jews is producing what what God predicted and said would happen. Uh, We don't have time to get into Matthew 22, but there's a parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. Right? And, and all, the, uh, all, the, all the guests that are called, right the ones that should be invited, all of them have various excuses. Right? And then the master says, well, go out into the highways. Go out into the fields. Anyone who will come. Right? Our God is going to have a full crowd at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Our God is going to have all Israel, ethnic Jews, Gentiles, uh, all of those dressed in the robes of his son at the wedding feast of the Lamb. He talks lesser to greater here, um, how much more so. Uh, that's kind of part of his argument process. And, and basically he is saying, hey, if, uh, if Israel has... Rejected, And that has resulted in this beautiful, beautiful, uh, cr- crazy pouring of God's Spirit and salvation of the lost. How much more will their inclusion mean now? Um, we'll get into that next week. I want to just go lastly over these uh, warnings. So the third part of the message was understanding the pitfalls of improper application. Uh, the olive tree um, illustration uh, brothers and sisters it just promotes the necessity that we know the old testament please come to sunday school if you're an adult and get an overview of the old testament because it makes everything so richer and fuller so he uh he is he has this illustration of an olive tree um and uh he says to them um well, let me take one more step back some of the pitfalls to the gospel uh especially in reformed circles is the predestination of god the election um uh the sovereignty of god the, the, the questions go like this i can't accept predestination i can't accept it i can't accept that god has determined and god has chosen who are his i can't accept it all right now for a christian to say that is an awful thing a christian has to say i i don't understand it it's all throughout the scriptures, even in that passage in Acts, right? All who are appointed, all who are set apart for eternal life believe, right? But, but you hear that. Uh, it's not fair. Right? You hear that all the time. What about those who haven't heard? How can they be punished those who haven't heard? Why would we do missions then? Why would we send out a missionary if, if all are chosen? Um, it leads to proud Christians. The frozen chosen, we're called. It leads to complacency god's chosen who are his um, then why worry why worry about following him why worry about confessing my sins why worry about holy living um, and so all of those uh all of those fears are really addressed in his warnings here so uh, i'm going to run through them quickly uh, the first arrogance and pride mm-hmm. verses 17 and 18 if branches were broken off you're a wild olive shoot you're grafted in and you share in the nourishing root of the olive tree don't be arrogant if you are remember it's not you who support the root but the root that supports you you'll say branches were broken off so that i might be grafted in that's true they were broken off because of their unbelief but you stand fast through faith do not become proud but fear the arrogant and pride of christians is just awful it's offensive in god's sight here he is saying it you know what happened branches were cut off why were those branches cut off they weren't being nourished by the root anymore right they had become their own thing they were broken off because of their unbelief right all throughout the old testament you hear that we're jews we've got the city uh we've got the covenants we've got the prophets we're where god's chosen people it doesn't matter uh, that we've mingled our worship with other idols they're cut off he says don't forget that don't be prouder, you too will be cut off you're only here because of his grace complacency verse 21 22, continue on in your faith he says what do you not realize this if god didn't spare the natural branches neither will he spare you And verse 22 really the key i think in this passage note then the kindness and the severity of god severe towards those who have fallen but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness; otherwise, you too will be cut off. And the third part, verse twenty-three and twenty-four: Stay on mission, right? Even if they, if they don't continue in their belief, they'll be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. Um, I, I wrote in the conclusion: We throw out the erroneous applications, but not the correct theology. <clears throat> The incorrect applications are the ones I just listed. Election is not fair. We shouldn't do missions. Um, we should be proud. And we shouldn't worry. Those are all improper applications, and an improper application makes you question the doctrine. Understand? A proper application makes you question the doctrine, right? In our community, there's improper application of what it means to be filled with God's Spirit. Right? and then uh, the, the, the wrong application right the wrong application uh, feeds into a theology that is harmful and not true and 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 uh, moves people away from the gospel our, 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 our right understanding of God's sovereignty brothers and sisters should lead to humility first and foremost of all the people who call themselves Christians let this church be known. As the humble ones, right? It doesn't mean we shy away from theology. It doesn't mean we don't say we know things. It's not uh, humility and I'm worth nothing. It's in humility. He is worth everything. And he is worth studying. He is worth applying our lives to. He is worth giving up things. I submit myself to him. It is what he says concerning me that matters let us not be let us not be embarrassed or ashamed of our reform doctrine of our church government especially not be ashamed of his gospel let's pray Father I pray that uh, my words that are true would stick with your people they would be precious to them that they would result in humility and holiness Hearts driven towards sharing your gospel. Uh, Father, I felt like there was a lot to talk about this morning. You know me, I get that way after a couple weeks out of the pulpit. Uh, Lord, will you, will you make us aware of the stumbling blocks that we might have? Oh, Father, may we say along with the Apostle, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I will never be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek, for in your gospel, the power of God is revealed from beginning to end. Oh, Father, may we be a people who live by faith in your word and your gospel and your Son. Lord, now will you set these elements apart Will you feed us from the body and blood of your own Son? And Father, will this serve as the ultimate illustration of your kindness and your severity, both of those both of those pure and holy and righteous in your character and being and exercising of your providence. You are a God who is steadfast love. And you are a God who is severely punishing wickedness. And in this sacrament, may we see both. May it cause us to be both humble and overjoyed. For this is what our sins cost. This is the only way we could have been made right, that you, God, would humble your own son to take our place and to receive what our rebellion, what our stumbling, what our trespass, what our hard-heartedness deserved to receive it in and of himself. Face that wrath and to give us by faith his record, his righteousness. Oh, Lord, may this supper fill our minds and our hearts and our souls. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.